This podcast is brought to you via my favourite platform, Skype. It's Talking Football with Rob Daniels and Vince Tracy. Talking Football. Very good day, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. 30th of March 2023. That's our date. Our weather looking good today. Okay, about uh, an hour's drive due west of where I stand right now. We should find Rob and hopefully his weather equally nice. Good morning, Rob. What's your weather like today? Ah, good morning, Vince. Good morning, everybody. The weather here today, Vince, is absolutely beautiful. Um, it's springtime, isn't it? And it is springtime weather. Um, it's absolutely lovely. It's not too hot, but it's nice and sunny. And um, and on a, on a night time over the last week or so, um, as it's cooling down on a night time, you get that really nice smell of blossom that you get in the springtime. Um, because all the cherries and the almonds and things like that are all sort of in blossom. And even though I live in, a, um, in an urban area, you're only sort of five minutes from uh, the countryside, really, aren't you, wherever you go. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's really nice this time of year. It's one of my favourite times of year. Absolutely lovely, Doc. Well, of course, uh, for those that are joining us, a very warm welcome to you. We've had the international break. Uh, I have to say, before we had the games, etc., uh, I don't like it because it totally and utterly breaks up the season, you don't know whether you're on your head or your um, backside, and quite frankly, I think a lot of people feel the same. But having said that, um, having watched the games, I thought there were some quite interesting games. So um, over to you, Rob, what do you think? Uh, What were the games that took your fancy or what stood out as results from the Euros qualifiers? Well, Vince, as we mentioned last week, um, neither, <clears throat> neither of us, I don't think, were particularly interested <clears throat> excuse me, before they actually started. But as you know, it's like the World Cup we were speaking about uh, before that happened. Once the football actually starts, it does get quite interesting, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and um, some of the results, the, the one that I um, really enjoyed, actually, um, was uh, the Croatia 1-Wales one, 1 result. Um, because that was played at the same time as Spain against Norway. And Spain against Norway was on, on on Spanish TV, so I had the Spanish TV on um, with a sound down to watch that, and it wasn't particularly yeah, three three nil, but then Croatia um, were one nil up against Wales, all the way through, um, and the Welsh commentators were actually very very interesting. They um, were giving a lot of respect to Croatia as a country because of its football history and its small population and stuff, completely different from what you'd imagine when England play, for example. Um, but then it came to 90, uh, 75 minutes, the manager, Rob Page, he, he made three substitutions for the Welsh team and they were risky. Um, apparently they were sort of like more or less untried players. And um, it continued 1-0 to Croatia right until 90 minutes and the referee um, played four minutes extra time added on and uh, Modric uh, was taken off after 90 minutes and he got his applause from the crowd and everything like that. And one of the commentators says to the other one, he goes, there's still two and a half minutes left to play. He goes, should we dare to dream? And the other one goes, well, we always dare to dream, don't we? And the magic happened at the, right at the end of the match. Um, it was like a set piece from Wales. The ball came into the Croatian um, goal area. One of the Welsh players nodded it down to this um, this young lad called Broadbent. Who's, uh, he plays for Ipswich Town in the uh, Lynn League One. And he's 25 years old. His first cap for Wales, his first full cap, he came on at 75 minutes and he smacked the ball right into the back of their net in the 93rd minute and got the draw. And it just, it was pandemonium broke out, basically, in the Welsh studio. They couldn't believe it had happened. And um, they didn't take any disrespect away from Croatia at all because, obviously, they're playing Croatia. But they managed, they managed to get the draw right at the bitter end. And uh, they're making jokes about uh, the Croatians are still looking around weeks, weeks time, <laughs> looking for a stolen point and things like that. All these old kind of jokes that came out. Um, and I, th- I thought that was a really fantastic moment, personally. Um, Roy, I'm not Welsh. 
Yeah, Roy of the Rovers, well, uh, sort of moment, that one. Um, oh, to- totally, totally, Vince, yeah. Just before we go to uh, the other of our um, home countries, if you like, um, I, I mean, some of the results, very predictable. Liechtenstein, nil, Iceland, seven. OK, uh, I, I just felt that Iceland are not going to be um, a, a, an easy team for anybody to play. Uh, Luxembourg, nil, Portugal, six. I mean, when all said and done, you're asking a, a nation um, of uh, virtually the size of a a town to play, you know, a team that's um, got to finals of the European Championship. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a bit ridiculous, really. But I suppose uh, if you look at it in the likes of uh, maybe a cup uh, rather than sort of these qualifiers, uh, you know, it, it must be nice if you're in a team to say, well, I've represented my country. OK, we got thrashed. But then again, you know, we've only got a, a couple of th- hundred thousand people to choose from in our country. Whereas if you go to England, um, we're talking probably 70 million people. Um, but they were up against uh, Italy in the first game. And uh, then they were up against Ukraine in the second game. Now, I did actually... Um, I'm, <sighs> I watch these, uh, but, you know, I can't really say I get that um, interested. But I did think they wouldn't win against Italy. So uh, you take it up from there. What did you think? Well, um, I was also um, quite doubtful. I think uh, I think a lot of us were, weren't we, against Italy, um, especially playing away. And we, well, we beat them. We beat them fair and square. And um, I think that was a good start to uh, the English campaign because, uh, I mean, Italy, they haven't been to the last couple of World Cups because they haven't actually managed to get there. But they're, they're the sort of team that you do miss when it gets to the finals and you say, well, Italy out there. But um, the Italians that are really serious about getting into this one. And um, England did it. I think that's uh, Bukhari Saka, the uh, Arsenal lad. Um I think he's really good. I think he's good when he plays for Arsenal. But when he plays for England, he really does play well, I think, even though he missed a penalty when he was told to take one um, and he missed. But it, in no open play, I mean, I think he's fantastic. Great I, I think player. the England team looked good. Yeah, yeah. And, and he is and, a great player. Uh, Ukraine, well, we beat Ukraine, but... Uh, Full credit to Ukraine for actually putting out a team, basically. Well, uh, you and I both uh, got the first one wrong. Um, I thought Italy would win. Uh, you thought it would be a draw. And uh, then we got to the second game. I thought it would be 2-0. You thought it would be 3-1. Uh, so we got the result right, which was good. Um, when we came to Spain, Spain-Norway, I thought we'd win 2-0. Uh, but you got it spot on, 3-0. So why did you get that right? Had you been spying on Spain's training methods? Or maybe is there something in the wind when we look at uh, training in a few minutes? We'll go back to uh, the results for a minute or two and then we'll discuss that as we go to... Scotland, um, they had a pretty uh, comfortable 3-0 against Cyprus and then they beat Spain. So again, when we come to that in a minute or two, uh, Northern Ireland, uh, they lost to Finland 1-0. We've already spoken about Wales. Uh, They beat Latvia 1-0 as well. So they've had a good tournament actually, uh, you know, for, for this break. Um, yeah. And the Republic of Ireland, they lost just by one goal to France. So not a bad result. Uh, We'll come to Spain now, because as I say, I did think that uh, they'd win, but you got the score right. So have you been spying on the training methods? And uh, if if so, you're not the only one. Tell us, what's the, what's this story about? Right, Vince. Well, the, the story about uh, Spain and Norway um, is that um, the Norwegian team, they, they were training down in the Costel Sol near, Mar- near Mar- Marbella. And um, in the first 15 minutes of an international training session, then the world's press, as long as they've got press passes and things like that, um, they're allowed in to see what's going on and do a little few interviews with the players, maybe, or the manager and things like that. And it's basically when the team's just warming up. Um, And then when they go into the training session, then it's behind closed doors, or it should be. And that's when they get into the serious training, if you like, of uh, set-piece moves and things like that. 
But um, the Norwegian team, for some reason, didn't let any Spanish press in for the first 15 minutes when they should have been allowed in. And a couple of reporters and professional journalists got a bit annoyed about this um, and went up to uh, a hillside fairly close by and started filming um, what was happening in the Norwegian training area. Um, and well, that, that's the basic outline of the story, if you like. They, they were filming um, the Norwegians when they were uh, in their actual training exercise, which they shouldn't have been doing. Um, and now the sort of question is, could that have affected the result? Did they pass that information on to anybody? I mean, I got the result spot on. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, because I was following these journalists. It's going to be 3-0. Well, <laughs> what took my eye, really, was the fact that, he, you know, they were missing Haaland. Now, Haaland yeah. has been sensational. He really is setting the football world alight. Um, and he probably will do again uh, when Man City play Liverpool. And, of course, it brings into question all sorts of things, which is why I thought this was worthy of discussion. Um, because if Haaland plays then you don't have the same game. Now, we saw Spain playing against um, Scotland and therefore, um, because Scotland were able to beat Spain, uh, despite Spain having uh, the majority of the possession, as you'd half expect, uh, you would imagine that there's a little bit more to this than meets the eye. I mean, if you've got a beast of a striker like Haaland, uh, then obviously the other team would be rejoicing in the fact that he's not going to play. So Spain would have been thinking, hang on, no Haaland, so we can basically, um, you know, make sure that uh, we, we play the tactics that can defeat Spain. Um, as it is, I did watch this game and I thought Spain did look good towards the end of the game. But um, when it came to the frailty against Scotland, I think... There's certainly something about long-range telescopes going to the top of their hill, watching other people uh, train. You know, I, I can understand why they would want to do that. Well, um, actual spying on um, different teams' training um, is quite common. I mean, uh, Marcelo Bielsa, the ex-Leeds uh, manager, he, he was very well known for uh, sending out spies and also going out and pretending to... He was somebody else to spy himself on the other team's training methods. Um, I don't think it's against the law, and I don't think it's actually against um, FIFA rules. But it's not sort of in, in the sense of fair play, is it? Um, if you do it for that kind of spying purposes. But I think uh, when Spain played Scotland, um, Spain didn't put out the best team um, at the start, at least. And I think they thought that Scotland was going to be a bit of a walkover where they completely underestimated Scotland and the Scottish spirit. Um, the only two players, the only four players I knew in the Scottish team were Scott McTominay of Man United, who got the two goals in. Um, Y'all had uh, Robertson from uh, from Liverpool. The goalkeeper is called Angus Dunn, I think he's called. He plays for Norwich City. And they've got um, a centre-forward, a number nine, whose name escapes in our place for Ipswich, I think, who's from actually born in Australia. Um, but I didn't know any of the other team, well, their Scottish team at all. But they're playing at home and they're proud, aren't they, the Scots? And they actually went out and put on... Um, they, they beat Spain and I don't think Spain were expecting it. And when it came to um, coming back, Spain didn't have anything to give. And um, it, even though they brought some of their big guns on, it, it didn't, uh, didn't do anything for them. Um, something curious, actually, about that uh, match is that Nico Williams, the, uh, the lad from Bilbao, that we've spoken about on previous occasions. Yep. He came on in the second half um, for Spain. He couldn't do anything. But at the same time, um, playing for the Welsh team, because this was on at the same time, there was another lad called Nico Williams, uh, who's Welsh. Um, he's called Nico Williams, but he's Welsh. And we've got Nico Williams. He's Spanish. And they both have the same name, completely different backgrounds, both playing for international teams at the same time. Um, there's quite a lot of namesakes in, namesakes in football, especially sort of Spanish-sounding names. But these are completely... Nico Williams, Welsh, isn't it, basically? But, uh, yeah. Rob, to uh, but, yeah. talking about um, football teams, you know, as we were growing up and playing our game and all this sort of stuff, a whole industry has blown up uh, and grown up uh, regarding, you know, statistics. Now, I have to say... I look at some of the spurious statistics that they trot out after the games these days. 
days. I think they just fill in space a lot of the time because, you know, I think back to, um, I, I used to take my football very seriously. Uh, I think I told you I had a trial with Trammy Rovers. Um, I r- really, um, you know, I, was, I wasn't a bad player and I represented the, the Liverpool Shipping League, which is a very big league. So to get in the team and play for them, I, I, I you know, was okay. Um, but not once in my playing days, did I ever go and study another team um, and do what they do these days? Uh, like most of the other people around me, you just turned up with your boots. <clears throat> you might even have gone for a, uh, you know, a shandy before the game. Um, I, I wasn't a drinker and I never have been a big drinker. But having said that, um, you know, most of the teams wouldn't drink before the game. They'd have a meeting and then, you know, uh, for example, when I was playing for Camelards, I'd have to wait for the uh, the uh, the bus, not the bus, the um, like it was a, a van, you know, the, the works van would arrive and uh, you'd get in and, as you go up through the middle of the the people on the um, the bus, they'd all be you know using their hands to give you a little bit of inconvenience. I mean, it's all banter and stupid stuff. But um, you, you know, when you think of this industry of uh, people who basically are just sitting down reading results, and then you go to the department with the medical people, which is very very important. I've got to say. The management of sports injuries, I think, is a huge area where they've got some fantastic people who obviously do great work. Um, And then, of course, you've got your sports psychologists. But, I mean, it's a travelling army with uh, the football teams these days. And, of course, we're talking about huge amounts of money. And then we get to the um, the millionaires who play the game. And, of course, uh, we have this beast of a guy, Haaland, who realistically, when you can score a couple of hat-tricks at the levels he's playing at uh, in the same week, uh, is just an amazing player. So, uh, when it came to the spying, I, I thought... You really have got to look at the whole package of what's happening these days. You know, it was not like the days when I was playing when, you know, I'd just turn up with my boots and the manager would give you a little pep talk and, um, you know, you get on with the game. So um, that's just the sort of area I wanted to uh, look at with you. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought that was um, that was interesting. Nada más as they say in Spanish. Um, But we've got something next, which is something that really peeves me, which is that it's like everything in life. People who have lots always want more. And it's annoying. Why do people, why can't they be satisfied with what they've got? Um, Tell us about what's going on with Barcelona. Oh, Barcelona, Vince. Um, we actually mentioned this um, as soon as this story came to light, um, which is going back a few months now. But uh, because we follow Spanish football, we brought it uh, to our listeners' attention before it became mainstream news, I think. But basically what Barcelona, um, apart from many other things that Barcelona have been up to, is <clears throat> there's an ex-referee, um, or is it one of the ex heads of the referees, Spanish referees committee, called uh, Negreira, he's called uh, Jose Maria Enriquez Negreira, and he's Catalan, he's got, he's got a Galician surname, but he, he's Catalan, and he has been on the payroll of Barcelona for something like 15 years, um, while he was still in his official capacity as one of the heads of the whole of the refereeing situation in Spain, and um, there's allegations of possible corruption, maybe, um, because Barcelona are paying one of the chiefs of uh, of the refereeing association for information. Um, now, Barcelona say that they were paying him for, um, well, they weren't paying him for tips, basically, on which referees could be conned and things like that. They're, they're trying to make out that it was completely above board. All they wanted to know was uh, how, what the... What the no, the situation was as far as offside rules and things like that went, but it probably goes a lot deeper than that. And Negreira himself has actually put in um, an official legal complaint against Barcelona because they didn't pay him what they were supposed to pay him at the end. Oh. Um, so but basically, they're embroiled in this legal battle. 
um, which I think both sides, it's both alleged at the moment, but I think we can say that, say, six or one and a half, it doesn't the other. It's like the pot calling the kettle black. Um, I think they're both in it together. Um, but it's going on at the moment, and um, we'll just have to wait and see what happens because, because Barcelona could be facing serious penalties. Um, as we know, Manchester City, for completely different reasons, but um, could be facing serious penalties. Barcelona could actually um, be facing a complete year um, out of any UEFA competition, which means La Liga, it means the Champions League or the UEFA League. It means basically Barcelona could be banned from playing football for a full season. Um, they're bound to manage to find a way around it, but um, it is looking that serious at the moment if things go against them. Um, but as we know, Barcelona, as they say, it's Mestun Club, Mestun Booty Club. Um, it's it, Barcelona, they're always up to something. Well, and they, are, they always seem to manage to get away with it. Have you heard the, the, the latest one that's just over the last couple of days? You know, Danny Alves, the uh, player for Barcelona player, Brazilian Barcelona yeah. player. Now, um, Danny Alves has been accused of um, sending signed Barcelona shirts, of his own shirts, to a prison in Brazil, where he's got a relative who's serving time in uh, in a prison in Brazil. And apparently all these Barcelona shirts that are signed with Danny Alves' name have started like, cropping up on the black market coming out of this prison. And th- then they actually looking into it. The uh, Spanish and Brazilian police are looking into it as a criminal case at the moment. They haven't. It's all alleged. Um, and obviously Danny Alves denies anything to do with it. But before they made it public, they had actually traced that the um, things, the shirts that were sent had actually been sent from Barcelona um, and then got to this prison and then been distributed from there. I mean, it's like, how 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 far will these people go? It's, it's, it, Barcelona is an absolutely crazy club. I'll be amazed. And, uh, I'll be amazed if he's done it. I should think that... Um... I, I, don't, I don't think he would do either, but um, I say Barcelona's always involved in something. Okay, let's look at the uh, other two parts of um, what that report was saying. Uh, So the club uh, are hoping to rebuild the crumbling Camp Nou uh, at a cost of 1.3 billion. That's about 1.5 billion in euros. Um, And uh, they've reported record losses last year. Um, including a colossal wage bill. Uh, at the moment, they have the wage bill standing at about six hundred and sixty-one point five million euros. Now, I seem to remember at the start of this particular campaign, there was supposed to be a huge um, worry for Barcelona about whether they were going to be able to even play in the competition uh, because of uh, figures like that. And it looks like, uh, once again, um, here we are late in the season and we've got uh, ridiculous figures. I mean, you know, the, the problem is I, I felt really, really angry about all these figures that the footballers uh, are earning um, because... The rest of the world is in such a, a turmoil in many, many, um, many, many ways. And I feel that, you know, one of the remits of this particular podcast, having go, going back to when I was studying, by the way, um, you know, we were studying things like where does football fit into community? Because the, the, the problem is that, you know, each of the football clubs has a community that it serves and I can't see how the people of Barcelona sit comfortably with a figure like that if they've got any social worries. And certainly when you look into London and you look at the football clubs around London in the Premier League and the uh, attendant food banks and all the other things that are going on, um, it's a real mishmash of um, stupidity and ridiculous money going to a few cosseted footballers. So this Mm. is why I feel these things are so important that we talk about them. I mean, I would imagine some of our listeners around the world uh, are just loving football and therefore sometimes some of these things they might not really understand till we open up the avenues of trying to explain why we should feel this way. I mean, I love football, you love football, of course we do. But I think it's totally and utterly wrong that uh, a few people are getting such massive money. Harland, I'm, I'm told, uh, about 1.6 million a week. We know, because we've already mentioned the fact that he's a beast and he, he scores goals, 
But um, we are now talking to the fact that he'll get paid something like what the what the fire service get in one particular borough, borough for maybe a year every week. I mean, it's just nonsense. Uh, you you can probably see why I'm getting a bit hot, hot under the collar with this. Oh, I, I, I can, Vince, and I agree with you entirely, as, as you know I do. Um, when we talk about things such as the money that is involved in football, um, it is obscene, isn't it, really? Um, when you consider that well, the, the rest of the world situation. Um, but, yeah, when individual players get paid so much and um, individual clubs such as Barcelona, for example, manage to get themselves into so much debt but are still allowed to continue to trade, whereas if you or I got um, 100 euros overdrawn, for example, on our bank accounts, they'd probably be sort of adding interest on and would never get out of the sort of spiral of debt and everything like that. Um, it, it's just... It's a, it's a different world entirely when you get to those kind of levels. And it's not a world that, not a kind of world that sits comfortably with me um, or with you, um, as, as we both know. I mean, I um, still really enjoy what happens on the pitch. Um, but the more you look into some of the things that happen in the background, the more you start to wonder, don't you, what is actually going on here? Um, because... There's so many things that we don't, we, we aren't told, and it's people such as yourself who look into these things and sort of bring them up, and then we discuss them. And um, but yeah, there's so many sort of dark arts out there in in the background. It's um, it's it's all pretty shameful, really. I would say. Uh, Absolutely. At the end of the day. Well, I mean, if if we've just mentioned the building costs at uh, Camp Nou. Uh, Everton, for example, are now um, th there's a charge for breaching Premier League spending rules, and it could de delay the completion of the new stadium, which looks lovely down by the docks. Liverpool, as a city, needs good things like this. I mean, you, you know, it doesn't matter who you support. Uh, if you're a football fan, you want Everton to have a brand spanking stadium and a better football team. Um, but I mean, you know, obviously their partners aren't going to commit until uh, such a, a problem has been resolved. Uh, the halfway through building, it's a 52,888 seats at Bramley Moor Dock. Um, they've already spent about 350 million. Uh, it looks really good, but they need uh, external funding uh, to finish this 550 million pound injection of cash into a city that probably would do well uh, to have another good stadium. Uh, you know, they've had these old stadiums since they started. Goodison Park, I mean, come on. As a kid, you know, I, I started out as, a, as an Everton fan. I've, I've played uh, at, uh, at um, Everton's training ground and uh, uh, Liverpool's training grounds for the showbiz teams. And so, you know, all this is part of the um, uh, the DNI of, of, of people like myself, you know. Um, but uh, it's a New York-based investment firm again. Um, and, of course, uh, MSP Sports Capital um, are looking for other people to be uh, investing. Uh, the whole thing led by the American banks, uh, MUFG and JP Morgan Chase. Uh, but while this is being going on, they apparently were unaware of the pending Premier League charge. Um, now, I can't really understand how somebody can mention in the same article that there's that sort of money we're talking about, £550 million, and the banks didn't have a, think, a thought about uh, Premier League uh, rules. I mean, are these people as stupid as that would appear? Well, they're either as stupid as it would appear, Vince, or uh, they're extremely corrupt and trying to uh, hide their tracks because this, the Everton um, financial fair play um, problems have been going on since about, uh, <clears throat> since 2021, I think, 2021. So it's, and, and this has been like openly um, spoken about. <clears throat> so well, it's not like it's hidden news. Um, and because they've lost, they've lost so much money in three years in a row that they found themselves against the financial fair play um, rules that uh, the football has set up for itself. I'm, again, I'm not sure if this is against law 
that it's definitely against the uh, football uh, Premier League rules. No, I think it's, it's Premier League, isn't it? But but I think yeah. at some point, if they've contravened the rules and say the club goes into liquidation or something like that, uh, then obviously I think the law would probably come into it because somewhere along the line, uh, people are uh, obviously doing things they shouldn't be doing. Um, mm. My my biggest point is that we're talking about the traditions of uh, Liverpool. Uh, we're talking about the traditions of millions of people around the world who um, obviously follow the club, and yet uh, the investors are coming in from other countries. I think they've got already somebody from the Philippines or one of the other um, nations involved. Uh, and the trouble is, you see, for me, for my money. Um, they're not looking at the the indigenous population who go to uh, these matches. Without the atmosphere, the games aren't the same. But without the investment, the clubs wouldn't be able to move to uh, the new situation, etc. I'm going to move away from that and wish um, one of your former stars well. Uh, this is Carlton Palmer. You'll know oh, more yeah. about you'll know mm. more about him than I will. So tell us what what's happened. Right. Well, uh, Carlton Palmer um, is um, an ex Leeds player. He, he he played. I think he played Everton as well. Possibly did he? But he played for Leeds for Sheffield quite a few Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, so I'm reading. Right. Uh, when Sheffield Wednesday were still one of the top teams, um, and he's he's 57 years old now. Um, and he's still a fit man for his age, but um, he was doing a, one of these uh, half marathons at the weekend um, to raise money for uh, a cancer charity. And um, he managed to finish the race, but he started feeling ill, um, more or less as soon as he started. And it turns out that he, he, his heart um, beat was something like 232 beats per minute, which is very, very high. Huge. Um, oh, massive. But yeah, massive. It's, it's far too high. And... Um, He's been in for tests and things like that, and I think he had a might have had a minor heart attack. It's definitely been um, a scare for him and his uh, and his family. But uh, again, for all of the everybody who, who remembers him as a player and everything like that, we just like to wish him all the best because uh, he he he's got through it okay, and he was doing his best to raise some money for uh, for a very good charity when um, when this happened. And yeah, it's, it's, it, it sort of shocked us all, but you. you You've got to think about when you get to a certain age what you can do and what you can't. Well, you? if any of our listeners are uh, are training and they're still old uh, or older like I am, because uh, I still train every day. Um, yeah, I do. You, you know, you're supposed to be training to try and get your uh, your heart rate up to 220 minus your age. So that is really, you know, what you try to get your, your training rate to be. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I mean, really, you've got to take these things seriously because, um, you, you know, you, like with your, your blood pressure, you, you've got to, uh, I think uh, a lot of people don't realise the, the gravity of your blood pressure. And obviously, when you're training, uh, then obviously you've got to really, really know what you're doing because um, it's like I'll do it for 10 minutes um, uh, and then, you know, then I'll do just more cardiovascular work, uh, aerobic as opposed to anaerobic work. But the, the, the problem is, you know, um, if he's been a fit athlete, um, you've got to have kept it going. Look, I want to make sure we get a bit of chance to uh, yeah. move to the National League because there's something... Yeah, if I could just, just, just finish off slightly with the Carlton Palmer thing. Sure, yeah. Um, that has it sort of sent shockwaves, if you like, through um, people of my generation. Because Carlton Palmer, he's, he's slightly older than, than I am, but he's from my generation, if you like. And it might have done some good because there are quite a lot of us who are still overdoing it. And I agree with you. You've got to keep your training regime to within sort of limits. And um, hopefully it will have rung bells in some people's heads and thought, yeah, maybe I should start slowing down a bit now. But uh, yeah, let's hope he's all right, Carl. Either slowing down or be sensible, be sensible, and do what you know is not going to tax your body too much. Exactly. Uh, but if you do it regularly, obviously you're more likely to be able to obviously get fitter. And then there comes a point where you've got to say, right, I'm fit enough. 
Okay, now uh, in, in the football in, uh, in in England, you've got uh, thirteen, I think it is, layers of of uh, teams in leagues. You've obviously got the Premier League; everybody knows that. Then the Championship, which is brilliant. I mean, they've got great great clubs in that. Um, there's always about ten, which used to be in the Premier League and are fighting to get back. Um, then you go to the Division One and Division Two, but the the next one down is the National league and it's very interesting this because uh, this is really grassroots not your Harland not all these big money guys um, this is the uh, area at the moment this league is being led by Wrexham where the two American stars have put money into the club it's a really interesting story but uh, now we're talking about the National League captains and apparently they've written to the Football Association needing urgent talks now this is about controversial contract charges uh, and changes I beg your pardon um, remembering that players uh, are only probably uh, just about um, making a living out of being professional footballers or maybe even part-timers so uh, tell us why they're all worried and angry well, um, what's happening uh, in this National League, Vince, which uh, used to be called the Conference League, so some people still refer to it as that, but it's actually called the the, the Vanguard um, National League. I mean, it's, it's sponsored by a van company, but um, it's the fifth tier down of uh, football and it's semi-professional, possibly professional, depending on which team you're talking about. But um, they, they're getting more professional, if you like. They're getting... Um, over the years, because there's a lot of ex-league teams that are down there now and all fighting to get out. As we know, um, you mentioned Wrexham, Notts County. They're the two that are likely to go up into the Football League this season. But what they uh, are talking about is the fact that um, the players, um, because they aren't classed as full-time professionals um, under, their, under their contracts, is that if they get injured, for I think it's for more than four months at a time or something like that, yeah. then they will not be continued to get paid by the football club they will get paid the um national sickness benefit um rate which i think is 99 pounds 50 or something a week or something um <coughs> which is what a normal member of the population would get um if they were found themselves in a similar kind of situation but um with that kind of uh, money then it's, it's going to be really difficult for them to actually overcome their injuries because they have to Things like doctors and specialists and they, they, all, all of this treatment that the big clubs and the uh, big money clubs uh, more or less take for granted. Um, all of these smaller clubs, they have to really think about how much they're paying the medical staff and things like that. And um, yeah, it's, it's become um, quite an interesting story in the sense that um, they, these are basically grassroots footballers, as you say, um, who were sort of standing up for what they think is their rights. If they've got a job, if they've got a work contract and they get injured at, at their work um, or in training for their work, which is playing football, then they think that they should be covered by the um, the club sort of like um, security system that, that should pay for them while they're recuperating. But um, it's, it's, and they've made this complaint. Do, do, do you know what um, the average earnings are? They're actually more than I thought they'd be earning, but... The average earnings for um, a National League footballer are between a thousand and a thousand five hundred pounds a week, um, which is a lot better wage than I think most people get. But at the same time, they are running the tightrope. If you like, if they get a serious injury, and that's yeah. their footballing career over, like it used to be in the olden days. Um, the highest paid players um, are far from Wrexham. Paul Mullin, the, the uh, captain, I called Ben Turzer, and two midfielders, James Jones and um, Aaron ha Aaron Hayden, is called. The first two get four grand a week and the second two get £3,000 a week in wages, um, which, again, is nothing compared to when you're talking about Harland, who gets more than a million a week. But compared to a, a normal working job, is it's, it's probably like a manager director's wage, isn't it? But... Um, yeah, that's a, that's a situation. Well, that this, this, is that where, this is where what I think should be happening is that I know the Premier League is regarded as separate from the Football uh, League, but I do think that they should have contingency 
um, arrangements whereby these massive amounts of money, instead of being paid to just one or two or, what you know, the 11 players that, that uh, represent, say, um, any of the top teams, there should be a small levy, a thousand maybe a week, from each of these um, huge, uh, when it comes over a certain amount of money, that has to go to a fund which will help the likes of the lower divisions. That's just an idea. Um, but, I mean, they're not. I mean, the whole point about it is it's all about greed, corruption. We've already itemised things like that. Mm. Um, and, you, you know, and we haven't even talked about the ladies' game. I mean, I would, would imagine that's worth looking into, see how much money they get paid now. Um, because obviously the uh, the money that comes through the turnstile won't be the same sort of figure that uh, would be realistically paid out to balance the books. So take away the TV contracts and everything, Sky TV, and you'll find that um, you know, there's a different story. And I think, quite honestly, those are the areas where I think um, maybe football should be investigated a bit more. Um, because what's the point of having a few people uh, collecting sports cars while everybody else um you know certainly all the way down the leagues uh, they they are not earning that sort of cash that's my feeling but don't forget um you know i do feel that uh, football is being used i think that it's being used by certain uh, parts of an upper elite uh, and what they want to do is get us all talking about football instead of looking at what goes on in the world. Um, and I think that, um, let's be honest about it, we all talk about it. So they're successful. So therefore... Yeah, but, but one, of, one of the things that we try to do, it's an, uh, this was obviously your idea to start with, um, and I'm very happy to participate, is that we do look at the world of football, but we do tend to look behind the scenes and to see how it relates to everything else, don't we? Um, and quite a lot of the things that we uh, find out are not particularly pal palatable, but at least we make the effort to find out and try and inform our listeners um, on a sort of neutral basis from what we actually see. Absolutely. And there is a saying in English, uh, where there's muck, there's money. It's from the, the north of England, obviously. And uh, where the, where there's dirt, you'll find money. Well, you can also say where there's, where there's uh, money, you'll also find the dirt. And I think the problem, problem is, you see, we're talking about greedy people all the time. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, you've got to come to a point in your life where you've got to accept certain people get more money than you. Uh, but having accepted that, you then don't want to turn around and see everybody being robbed, which is um, part and parcel of some of the things that we look at. And certainly I believe that if you're supporting a team that's playing a good game, trying to be fair, trying to, you know, play well within the rules. And then you've uh, got people around you who are play acting. Uh, you go and uh, look at some of the footage of the way that people are being trained now. Uh, you can see why uh, Norway wanted to spy on Spain, maybe, or whatever, the, the, the other way around, you know, because quite frankly, if you've got um, coaching methods where you're being coached to uh, as you can see quite clearly in the Premier League and La Liga you know uh, pull the slave sleeve of somebody running at speed now a lot of people think that it's uh, you know it's impossible and it shouldn't be a penalty I know by my judo training that if you are able to pull somebody over without running at the speed that the footballers and if you can do it by the flick of a wrist I know how quickly somebody will go down. So don't worry. These people are being coached how to cheat. And unfortunately, this is something that really does make me cross um, uh, because some of it is obviously the, of the footballer's own making, uh, but a lot of it is the, is the coaching methods. And I'm sorry, um, somebody will probably tell me that I'm, I'm totally wrong, uh, but uh, my eyes can't be wrong every week, every time that I see a game. Your comments on that one, Rob? Well, it, it's all a matter of really, I suppose, at the end of the day, is if you class it as cheating or what they call gamesmanship, which is basically cheating under a different name, isn't it? Um, but, yeah, I, I understand exactly what I mean. I mean, um, without naming names particularly, um, there's a certain uh, Man City footballer who's originally from uh, the Birmingham area who likes to trip over his own feet in the area. Now, he doesn't need to do it uh, because he's a brilliant player. 
and there's no reason why he should do it, uh, just to look for a penalty. But the referees are now wise to it, so he'll get a card when he goes down. Um, but he still tries it on, and why? Um, if, if he gets fouled, fair enough, but just tripping over your own feet deliberately. The the classic one, which I think they've been doing since uh, football first started, to be honest, um, Gary Lineker was good at this, uh, and uh, is, as is Harry Kane these days, is if you're a striker and you've got the ball, is you know there's a defender behind you, so you slow down slightly and let him bump into you, and then you go over, and you get a penalty that way. Um, you see, within the rules, um, I think it depends... If you get chopped, then it's a penalty. But it all—it depends how sort of much play acting there is and how how much you deliberately set out well, to get a penalty. What springs to mind for me was Marcus Rashford the other week. He's a cracking player. Seems yes. a nice young man, but uh, you know it was a ridiculous fall over. I've seen Mo Salah doing it um, again. You know, with with some of these guys, maybe. We we're not allowing for the fact that they are running at speed, and maybe sometimes you know it, I I don't know. All I do know is my eyes uh, are still fairly good, and I can see when somebody falls over and they haven't been tripped. However, I've got to also add that the referees have got a massive job. But when you've got the uh, the uh, VAR. Um, and you see the uh, reactions and you see how sometimes we totally miss things at, uh, you know, at real speed. And then when you go back and look at it, it looks uh, horrific. Um, yeah, I've got to say uh, it's not easy uh, to officiate. It's a lot easier to criticise. But VAR mm. has, you know, we can't really say we like VAR. I think... The technology is certainly something that was always going to necessarily come in because these guys are so, so fit and so fast. And But, you know, I don't know. Rob, let's go to the um, uh, La Liga. I don't know what you'll have for me, but um, I didn't... Um I don't think we included this in the menu. Let's have a quick look. Uh, Liga Roundup with Rob Daniels. Okay, so um, what do we have to look forward to? Right, well, uh, La Liga's had a break um, over the uh, last weekend, or the last week for the international period as well. Um, but they're back at it again this weekend. Um, Barcelona at the, at the top. Um, 12 points ahead of uh, Real Madrid at the moment. Barcelona are actually playing um, down here in El- at Elche um, on Saturday. And uh, I might see if I can get uh, get one of my mates who uh, Elche season ticket. I'll see if I can actually get to go watch the match. Um, so if I've managed to get to go, I'll let you know next week. Um, but um, yeah, they're all playing again this week, and um, it's it's looking it's very interesting. There are two matches behind the Premier League. Um, so they've now got 12, no, they've got 11 left to play as we speak. But the uh, fight for not going down, the uh, relegation battle, um, as we mentioned last week, is very similar to it is in the Premier League. There's more or less half of the team, half of the teams in La Liga are under threat of getting relegated. Um, and how it all pans out, we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, it's, it's looking really good, is uh, La Liga. And it'd be nice to get back into league football as well. Okay, so we go straight to the predictions then. Uh, we have the big uh, lunchtime kickoff and um, Man City, uh, Haaland, and all the antics of both managers trying to uh, kid us all what's going to go and what isn't going to go. Um, people coming back from injury, people coming back from having a bad curry and uh, not playing for Holland. That's a Gakpo uh, Cody I was referring to. Um, I mean, you know, Van Dijk's taken a huge amount of uh, stick. Um, he's if, if Haaland will play, and I'm pretty sure he will, um, then, you know, that's a huge challenge for Van Van Dyke, but um, critical sort of time for Liverpool. I can see three horrible games ahead. Um, you know, even should we do an unbelievably well in those three games, we're just as likely to play badly and still not 
uh, get the top fourth, uh, top four position. I, I believe now that uh, that's not really feasible anymore. Uh, so the first of those challenges to face Liverpool, huge challenge against a cracking team. Um, Pep Guardiola, no matter what people say about him and his team, they are a fantastic team and um, they'll do well to get a point for me. So I'm going to predict um, that uh, City will win 2-0. Right, Vince. Well, um, I uh, also I apologise. I'm going to have to go against Liverpool on this one as well. I've got it down as a 3-1 to City. Um, hopefully, well, we could, we could be wrong, but uh, you, you put your score down first at 2-0. I've got mine down as 3-1. Yeah. OK, I mean, the thing is, uh, it's all very well being partisan, uh, but you've got to be realistic. If you go by what's been happening before the break and then try and factor in all the people. And it's like starting the whole season off again. Um, and uh, quite honestly, uh, that's how I feel. Arsenal. Now, you know, we're playing Man City. You've got Leeds going across to Arsenal. So that is a huge game, a really difficult game for you, uh, Arsenal. I really can't see anything for Leeds on this one. I'm going to go 4-0 for Arsenal. I hope I'm wrong. 4-0 for Arsenal. 4-0. I hope you are wrong 4-0, Vince. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, I, as, as you know, and all the listeners know, I'm not going to bet against Leeds, even though it's this is going to be a really difficult one. I'm going to go for a draw, Vince. I'm going to go for a 2 all. OK. And if, if we can get a point out of this, then we'll have got that stolen point. Look, I, I'm quite happy and I hope that you do get your point. Um, you, you know, uh, I, I don't really go for anything other than what I'm seeing. And I do feel Arsenal have been imperious. Saka's going to come back. He's going to be as high as a kite. <laughs> what, what a No, he's a great player. A th- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, just, um, just build it up for me, Vince. I'm really looking forward to that Saturday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> OK, we'll go next to Bournemouth because they are really proving to be quite a good little team. Um, you know, I, I don't see Fulham having a great day there. And quite frankly, um, Fulham are fighting for uh, the, the top of the table. Bournemouth, I still think, uh, are good enough to stay up. Uh, give, give us your thoughts on this one. Well, I, I think also Bournemouth are probably good enough to stay up. Um, I hope that they end up at least one place below Leeds. But yeah, I think Bournemouth... Um, they're good enough, I think, to stay up. And I would actually put this down in favour of Bournemouth. I've got this down as a 2-1 in favour of Bournemouth, Vince. OK, I think it'll be a 1-1 draw. Um, I hope it's a good game. I'm pretty sure it will be. Uh, mm. Tougher task goes to Brentford. Now, th- these games down on the south coast, uh, don't forget the London Brighton rally is only about uh, 20 miles away so f- from London to Brighton. Uh, Brentford are going down to tackle uh, Brighton, who have been a revelation this season. Now, I don't know how much their season has been or will have been disrupted by the break, um, but it should be an interesting game, that one. Brentford, they're looking good, uh, but... Brighton looking even better. So tell us what you think is going to happen with that one. Well, um, again, this is a, a very difficult one to predict, Vince. Um, as you say, Brighton are having a better season than anyone expected, but Brentford are having an even better season than I think even they were expecting. At the moment, they're both on 42 points and they're level pegging. Um, Bright- Brighton have got two goal- t- two games less um, and they're ahead on goal difference. But uh, they're both 7th of Brighton, 8th of Brentford. Um, Brighton want to get a European place, don't they? And I think Brentford will just be happy with the season they've had uh, because they're not going to go down. They're going to get, walk away with their heads held high. Um, but I think Brighton are going to go out and do this. I think they'll do it 3-1. OK, I think Brighton will win 4-2. Um, Chelsea, who have spent heaps of money, um, they will start it in a bit of form now, in my opinion. And quite honestly, the visitors are Aston Villa. Um, they're not going to be easy to beat, but I can't see Chelsea losing this one. What do you think? Well, again, Villa and Chelsea. Chelsea 10th, Villa 11th, both on 38 points, both on the same uh, amount of matches. Um, whereas Villa, uh, two or three months ago, were right in the relegation battle. Um, neither of them are safe, but uh, it's very even. 
Um, you'd think Chelsea, just on their reputation, would uh, be able to beat Villa. However, what they're actually doing in the uh, in the Premier League at the moment, very even. I've got it down as a one-all draw, Vince. OK, I think Chelsea will win this 2-0 as we go to Crystal Palace with Woy of the Rovers. Uh, he's in charge now, of course. And another Liverpool ex-manager, uh, Brendan Rodgers, takes his Leicester team to play at a difficult ground. You know, Crystal Palace are, are no mugs. They're not duck eggs, as uh, Neil will say on our other po- podcasts. Um, give us your thoughts on this one. Well, Palace and Leicester, now Palace have got old Roy in charge. And, uh, yeah, it's old uh, Brendan Dow Rogers still. He, I, I'm glad that he's still in the job because uh, I think they did the right thing, Leicester, to keep him on when he, he looked like he was going to face the sack. But um, they're both more or less in the relegation battle themselves. I can't say they've been particularly that much of a home advantage for Palace. Um, I've got this down as a draw as well, so I've got it down as a nil-nil. I've got it down as a 2-2, a Desmond 2-2. Right. Now, we've only got five yeah. minutes left, so right. uh, hurrying along, Everton, with all their attendant financial uh, woes, are entertaining Spurs. Harry Kane, he's going to go back. You know, he's just got uh, the great news that uh, his wife's um, having another baby. He'll be so uh, buoyed up. He's ready for this game. So, coming back from international duty, another couple of goals to add to his uh, great record. Record. Um, I can't see Everton getting much off this game. No, I can't either, Vince, to be honest. But uh, Antonio Conte went uh, a couple of days ago, didn't he? Which, which I thought, and I think you thought, that he would have gone last week. Yeah. That he, he's actually gone now. And uh, But they, they, the, the guy who's taken over is his second in command. And uh, so Spurs, it depends which Spurs team turn up. But Everton's only got one team that can turn up, haven't they? And uh, so I can't see Spurs losing this either. I think it's going to be one-two to Spurs. OK, I make it nil 3 I can't see Harry Kane not scoring a couple after coming back with all that great news and everything. Newcastle United. Yeah. Now, uh, they're still in this battle at the top. Manchester United are the visitors. This is going to be a great game at St James's Park. What do you think? This should be a really good game, Vince, um, especially because I say it's top of, top of the table clash um, at St James's Park, Newcastle's home ground, against Man United. Um, this should be a, should be a fantastic match. Um, it's difficult for me to call because it could go either way. But I'm going to put it actually because I've got to have a guess. I'm going to put it down as a Newcastle win. Vince. I'm going to put it down as a two-one to Newcastle. Exactly the same score I've got as we go mm. to Nottingham Forest. Uh, not quite a derby, but almost a Midlands derby. The visitors are Wolves. Uh, so. Um, Right, what do you what do you reckon for this one? Well, it, well, it is a sort of Midlands derby, isn't it? I mean, they're both from that sort of area, um, and they both looked like they were getting away from the relegation zone, uh, especially Forest. I thought Forest were out at the table two or three matches ago, but now they're right back down in it again. Um, I think this will be a hard fought match, and I think it will be a draw. To be honest, I can't see either of them actually winning it. I think it'll be uh, a 2 all. I think it'll be a Desmond 2-2. Two, two, OK, I think it'll be Forest 1, Wolves 2. We've got a minute uh-huh. left so that we get under the uh, hour just by the skin of our teeth. Um, West Ham are facing Southampton. Southampton often good on the road. West Ham, well, I think David Moyes could will be the next manager that will fall. Uh, your prediction on this one? Well, Southampton bottom position, West Ham in 18th position, both in the relegation zone at the moment. I think David Moyes could be the next one to go. Um, But um, I can't see West Ham actually losing this, to be honest. I think West Ham are going to do this. I think think they'll play at home. I think they'll get it 3-0. OK, I've gone West Ham 1, Southampton 2. Uh, they wow. are a strange team, Southampton, and especially on the road. So, uh, look, come on. My guess is as good as yours. The good thing about uh, discussing these games is that, quite frankly, you haven't a clue what's coming at you. You can only look at what we've seen and then predict from there. Uh, otherwise, we'd be winning the pools every week of the year, which is something we say quite regularly. Uh, <laughs> No, it's true though, Rob, isn't it? You know, you you really can't uh, predict what goes on. Um, 
you can just enjoy the games. I just hope we don't get a huge defeat and I'm just a little afraid of Van Dyke's uh, vulnerability um, at the moment. Uh, he, he could do with a big game. Anyway, Harland, of course, yeah. the beast will be there and um, I'll be watching the game and I don't think that you'll miss this one either, will you? Oh, no, Saturday. I've got uh, Saturday lunchtime, the uh, Man City Liverpool match and then the uh, four o'clock European time kickoff Arsenal Leeds. That's my Saturday sorted. I'm just hoping that Leeds don't get relegated, that's all. <laughs> Rob, have a great weekend. Look forward to chatting again next week. My pleasure always, Vince. Cheers, Rob. Bye. This podcast is brought to you via my favourite platform, Skype. This podcast is brought to you via my favourite platform, Skype.